good to be back with you after being away last week. Um, it's been kind of a busy two weeks. Last week, uh, or actually the week before that, leading up to last weekend, my wife and I were in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, we were there for our convention. I, m- many of you don't even know we belong to a denomination. How many of you knew we belong to a denomination? Yeah, some of you do. Some of you don't. Like, we do? Uh, yeah, we do. It's a small group of churches called the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches that uh, 47 churches spread mostly in the Midwest, but we do have uh, some far-flung churches. We have one over in Napa, Idaho, and then one over, or actually two new church plants over in Maine. So we're kind of spread out that way. Most everybody's, though, in Illinois, uh, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, Missouri, Minnesota, I don't know where all the places are. Anyway, they were kind of like this kind of Midwestern denomination of small churches. Uh, the thing that was cool, though, we were there actually for a couple of days, the first part of the week, Tuesday and a Wednesday, and part of Thursday for a, um, for a pastors and wives uh, kind of marriage enrichment event. And then we had our convention, so we were in all kinds of stuff. So I heard like a half a dozen sermons. And then come back this week, this past week, and uh, then Friday, Thursday and Friday, we were in a thing called the Leadership Summit. So I heard a whole bunch of other messages. So I'm kind of like, man, I've been preached at and talked to for like a long time, so I get to kind of share everything. I, no, I'm not going to share everything I learned. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm not going to talk about anything I learned there, except for one issue. One of the things that so often that I find true is that um, it's really easy for churches to grow from an outward-focused church to an inward-focused church. It doesn't take long for churches to do that. Um, I, I'm painfully aware of that even more so now than I used to be. I always knew that was true. But, you know, if you look at the early church, which we began to look at six weeks ago, actually, uh, this is the six-week of a series, of an eight-week series, looking at the book of the first five chapters of the book of Acts. Um, we talked about how the early church, the Acts church, was so outward-focused. They were so focused on, on reaching people and telling them a simple message. And the simple message, the rallying point of the early church was that Jesus is the Christ. And, and if you don't believe, uh, you know, Jesus is the Christ, and that's what held people together. It wasn't like a whole lot of doctrine. It wasn't a lot of structure there. There wasn't any of these things that Jesus is the Christ. And we want you to understand that. And, and, and if you don't believe that, well, we can help you while we help you to believe that, uh, while you figure that out, can we help you in some way? That was what the early church was all about. Um, but some of you probably have had experience, if you've been in church any time at all, to understand the whole thing of outward focus versus inward focused. And, and it became painfully obvious to me recently, once again, that how easily that happens and what the damage that does to a church. Because not only are we a part of a denomination, but I serve on what's called the elder board for our denomination, which is a, a group of pastors who our main job is to encourage other churches and pastors. But it seems like most of the time what we do is, besides credentialing new pastors and churches, is we spend a lot of time dealing with church problems. Wouldn't that be the thing you'd love to do with your life, deal with church problems? I'm going to ask myself this year, this is the second year I've done this, and I'm going like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And and I thought, well, you know, somebody needs to do it. And so they asked me to, and, and so we, at the convention, actually, in all the gaps and all the breaks where there was nothing else going on for everybody else, the elder board met. We met for eight hours over the convention uh, time, different two-hour meeting here, three-hour meeting there, two-hour meeting here, three-hour meeting here. And we did that, and most of the time we were dealing with church problems. And what I found to be true of every church that we dealt with a problem with was this. Not one of those churches came to us and said, you know, what our problem is is that we are reaching so many people for Christ that we don't know what to do with them. 
Not one church came to us and talked about that issue. All the problems were were inward-focused things that were happening in the life of that church that had caused dissension and disunity and all kinds of things. And, and, And it's really easy for churches to become that way. Uh, a couple of years ago, or actually to about two and a half years ago, I shared with you l- this last year that we began a process of asking ourselves, you know, are we as a church at Great Oaks becoming inward focused? Are we focusing because we've grown? You know, we first, uh, in the early days, the pioneer days of Great Oaks a few years ago, maybe nine or ten years ago, when we were meeting over in the school, we were kind of like pioneers, right? You know, like uh, every week we set up everything, children's ministry. Dana, I remember, it was crazy over there, wasn't it? You know, pre-K was in some kind of, we kept moving it around, kind of find places to stick it in the school. And every week was an adventure. And we really were seeking and, and everybody was talking to people about, hey, come to Great Oaks. Nobody knows where it's at because, you know, we don't have a building or anything, but, you know, we're come to Great Oaks. And people were excited about that and people were constantly talking to their friends and, and we got it kind of there. And then we got our building. And everybody thought, how cool. And for the first year or two, man, everybody was inviting people, you know, and we got kind of full and we had now two services and, and two services and the kids areas kind of filled up, you know, and we're going like, okay, we kind of arrived. What's, and, and we realized that one of the things that was happening to the Great Oaks is that we were becoming more of an inward focused church. We were. And we had to ask ourselves, okay, what is it that, that God calls us to do? What is the great commandment what's the great commission he says to love god and love others and to love others he says we're to go out into the world to reach people to bring them into the, the life of and to a fellowship with god and to teach them to observe all things so we're, we're to do that and so we can't do one or the other it can't be either or it has to be both and it has to be reaching people and teaching people and so we began an emphasis on saying hey how can we begin to refocus our attention out of community uh, not that we have totally lost that but we don't want to get to the place where we become inward focused because we're not immune to this subtle turn toward uh, it's all about us. And I began to think about that, and, and, and I was reading this week and actually studying this several weeks ago, but it kind of came to mind even more so this week. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, which we're going to look at this week, and Chris led you through the first part of it last week, it talks about prayer. It talks about uh, the, the, uh, the thing that that really says some things about the church. And, and I found this to be true, that one of the key ways you can know that when a church is becoming inward-focused and it's all about us, or, or whether it's outward-focused and has a balance, one of the ways you can know that is how a church prays. It's how its leaders pray, how its members pray. It's how a church prays. So we're going to talk about prayer today. We're going to talk about how the early church prayed and how we pray sometimes. And it's a challenge because I was convicted when I was reading this and asked myself, do I pray kind of an inward prayer? I kind of like this phrase. I was listening to a message to kind of support some of the things here. And I listened to other pastors as well. And Andy Stanley said this. He said this little phrase. He says, how a church prays shows whether it's strayed. I thought that was a good little phrase. How a church prays shows whether it's strayed. And we're going to talk about today, how do we know, what, what, is a, what does it mean to pray, pray in a way that shows, that, that gives an example to, to where we are with our mindset? Are, are we balanced towards God? Are we, are we really hungry for God? Or we just want to, God just to fill us up and we've got to keep it all to ourselves? Because that's never the way that God intended it for it to be. 
So I want us to think a minute this morning. Now, those of you, if you're here and somebody invited you here and you're not a Christian, uh, you get off the you get off the hook this morning, okay? This is all for you who consider yourself Christians, okay? This is the question. And I want you to think about this. And I, before I, I even ask you the question, I know what the answer is. But I want you to think about this. Think about what you pray about. Think about what you pray about for a moment. Okay? Now, let me tell you what you pray about if you're average. Average Christian. Probably the average Christian on the average day. Now, this is, there is exceptions. There are times when we pray about other things. But generally, on a day-to-day basis, you probably pray about yourself, your needs, your family, and maybe two or three sick people. That true? Come on, guys. Don't, don't, don't be this. I'm going to come down and talk to you in a minute. You know, I'm going to wake you up because, you know, the thing is, is that I find that to be true. I don't know if you, if you really examine your prayer life on a regular basis, it's usually about me and my needs and about my family's needs and maybe about two or three sick people. And occasionally we pray about other things, but that's kind of the way we do. And, and, and the interesting thing about it is this too. I think about the stuff we pray about about ourselves and about our family. Um, and we pray about stuff that the, we pray, ask God for stuff that probably will happen anyway. It really doesn't tax God's energies at all to hear our prayers or to answer the prayers. For instance, we pray, God, you know, some of you just, it's the summer, you just went on trips, right? Probably before the trip, you pray, dear Lord, give us a safe trip. Did you pray that? Anybody pray that here? I did. Okay, every time I go, I pray those prayers. And I'm thinking about, okay, it's probably going to happen anyway. Buckle your seatbelt, drive the speed limit, and watch out for everybody. You're probably going to have a safe trip, you know. And the thing is, is that it's all right to pray that, but is that all the kind of prayers we pray is safety prayers? We're so safety conscious in America. Everything's about safety and about comfort and safety, and we give it our, 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 we pray things like, God help me to do well on the test. That's getting ready to happen with school starting back. You know? Those of you who are teachers, those of you who, well, there's probably this service, I thank you, there's like two students here. All the students come to the second service because they don't get up. You guys must be early risers or something, you know. But the thing is, and there's another one up here, I forgot, okay. But the thing is, is that, you know, pray, God help me to do well on a test. Do atheists do well on test? From your experience, Kevin, do atheists do well? At, I don't know if you go judge that in class. You can't judge that, I know. But the issue is, is that, you know, uh, we pray about things like that. Well, you know, doing well on a test is not determined about, you know, if God, if you don't do it, I'm not going to do well on this test. Well, that's not really the deal. The deal is God help me to do my best. Not just, you know, make me help me study, stay focused, do the things that are important. But we pray prayers like that all the time. And we pray sometimes even the same prayers over and over and over again. You know, you know, God help me to have a great day and, you know, whatever. And, you know, we pray the same prayers. And I wonder if God sometimes is looking at us and going like, hey, dudes, I mean, you, pr- you prayed that prayer yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. I heard it. Pray something different that taxes my energies that I really want, you really want help with. It's so often most of our prayers or about us. It's about me. We rarely ask God, though, in our prayers for something big. We keep praying all this stuff. 
And, and it's all right to keep praying those prayers. I'm not telling you, don't pray for your daily needs, okay? Because it says, give us this day our daily bread, where, you know, when Jesus taught us to pray. But that is not all we're to pray about because so often we think that is the limitations of our prayer, but that is just the beginning of our prayer, as we shall see today in Acts chapter 4. And I'm beginning to think about this. I'm, I've thought about this, this question. And, and, and just ask yourself this second question. If all of the prayers that you prayed last week were answered, what would it change? If all the prayers you prayed last week were answered, what would it change? Oh, maybe, you know, you'd have a safe family. You'd had a good week. Your kids would be all right. Maybe two or three sick people would be. You know, we might have prayed, but really think about it. If, and I had to ask myself that question too. If all the prayers that I prayed last week were answered, what would it change? It's kind of a humbling prayer or humbling thought to think about what we pray about. So don't quit praying any of the stuff that you pray. But my concern is this. This is the concern, folks. This is what the deal is here. And my concern is this, that self-centered prayers, prayers where we just simply pray for ourselves, our family, maybe a few people we know, and that's basically the extent of our prayers. Self-centered prayers lead to people becoming a self-centered church. Because what, what is the church? It's you guys. It's not this building. You guys. So what you pray determines and under, helps you to understand whether you're self-focused or focused on the bigger things of God that God wants us to do. And I believe that you're here, and I think this is true because I talk to many of you time and time again. I believe that you want to be a part of something bigger than just something place that you go on Sunday morning and you connect with a few people and you go home and it doesn't make any difference in your life the rest of the week. Because that's not what church is about. And it's, that's what we've been looking at in Acts. What is the church? What, what do we want to do? So what we're going to do, real quickly, I want to give you a quick review of Acts chapters 1 through 4, where we've been, if you've not been here, and I, because I want us to bring it up to where we are today, what we're going to look at in beginning with verse 23 of chapter uh, 4 of Acts. But just going back, okay? A few weeks ago, we started this series. Chapter 1 of Acts. Jesus leaves to go to heaven. Or is getting ready to be taken to heaven. But before he leaves, he gives some instructions. And what does he tell the people? This is feedback time, okay? You can talk. What did he tell the people? He told the disciples. He told them one word, a one-word answer. He said, before you do anything, do what? Wait. Wait was the big word in chapter 1. Wait. And what were they waiting for? They were waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit to come into their lives. Acts 1.8. He said, wait, because I'm going to give you something. Yeah, I'm leaving you physically, but I'm going to leave you something even better than me. And that is what? That's the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who empowers you to do all the things that I want you to do and to be the person I want you to be. And so he says, wait. And so Acts 180 says, and and Acts 180 says this, but when you receive, but when you wait, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And he says, this is what the power will do. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, that was what he said to wait for, the Holy Spirit, which will empower us to be a witness. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2. So they wait, and what happens? They kind of wait. We talked about that too. Uh, chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes. It's a time called Pentecost. Some of the believers, or many of the believers, can speak in languages they've never spoken before. And what did it do? 
It allowed them to be a witness to people who spoke other languages, that didn't hear the, didn't understand the language. All of a sudden, people could hear the message of God, the message of Jesus Christ in their own language. The Holy Spirit came. He did exactly what he said he was going to do, what Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to do. And also something else happens there. Peter preaches a bold message. And in that bold message, he shares some things. And basically, the, the topic of that message, the, the first message of the early church, was real simple. And that message was, why I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and why you should too. If I had the title of the message for that, for that day. And it says that in that early church, on that day, 3,000 people, men, it says men now, okay? I know, ladies, uh, that, that's the same thing about women, but women probably came to Christ too. But for some reason, in that day, they only counted guys. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it was, okay? But 3,000 men plus women and children came to know Jesus Christ. And so they came to know Jesus Christ. And, and that's what happened. Chapter 3, chapter 3. Uh, Peter and John are, are going through and they're doing their, their daily walking through and going to the temple. And as they go to the temple, this guy who's lame asks them for money. And he, they say to him, we don't have any money, but I'll give you something better. In the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And the guy was healed. And it starts this whole bunch of stuff happening where people are starting to praise God. And, and once again, the purpose of the healing was what? So the guy could walk? And that was kind of the side issue. The real issue was so that God could be praised that they could be witnesses once again to the power of Jesus Christ, to the power of God. And so he, he does that. And Peter, you know, Peter at this point gets his second sermon, another sermon on very straightforward, uh, talks about some things. Chapter 4, beginning of chapter 4, Chris talked about this last week, son. And so what happens is, is after this happens, after the second message, the people are talking about all the stuff that's going on with God, and, and they're praising God, and all this stuff's going on, and the religious leaders are ticked. They are. And now in the Bible, it doesn't say that word. It doesn't say ticked, but that's what they were. It says they were greatly disturbed. But that word means ticked. They were mad. You know why they were mad? Because all of a sudden, they weren't getting the, the attention anymore. I mean, it was going against their leadership, their authority. And so they began to get mad. And so what they do is they, they grab Peter and John, they throw them in jail overnight. And, 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 uh, and, uh, and what happens because they can't, they don't know what to do. The next morning they get up, they get Peter and John out of jail, they talk to them, and what do they do? They tell them, hey guys, you can't say this stuff anymore. If you do, we're going to jail you again. We're going to do maybe worse to you. That's kind of threaten them. They give them all kind of stuff. And, and then we come, and then they release them. And then this is what we begin to read. If you have your Bibles with me with you this morning, turn to Acts chapter 4, begin with verse 23. This is what we're going to look at this morning. What happened after all that? What happened after they were released? This is a powerful passage of Scripture. I love this passage. I read it over and over and over. I mean, at the conference, at Leadership Summit, it's a cool thing about having an iPad with you. If it gets boring, you can look at something else. really works great. Nobody knows what you're doing. I think you're taking notes on this. No, no, I was reading Scripture sometimes. I thought it was the best use of my time occasionally. But the issue was is that uh, we read this in Acts chapter 4, verses 23. It says this, on their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now I'm thinking. I began to think when I saw this. Let's go. Now, if this happened to us in our culture, 
in America, in the American church, if, if some of our key church leaders, let, let's just bring it home. Say uh, the staff here got in trouble for speaking something, saying something, and, and, the, and the police came and threw us in jail. And they threatened us. And they said, hey, guys, you can't say that anymore. We're going to let you out. But if, but, if, but if you keep speaking like that, we're going to put you back in jail. And we came back to the church and told you everything that happened. How would we respond? How would we respond? Well, being safety conscious, we would probably say, hey, you'd probably say, you know, the leaders would probably say, hey, hey Bill, you can't say that anymore. You're going to get in trouble. Hey, Bill, you know, be careful. We, we, we want to be a positive witness, an encouraging witness in our community. Even if I said the things that were true and if I spoke the truth in love. You've you got to be careful. And I'll tell you what, we don't want this to happen again, so let's just put in some safety measures. We'll have a couple of security people go around with you, watch you, guard your back, maybe a couple of guys in Escalade, you know, with, with uh, headphones, you know, with little thing, earbuds, you know, and they can talk to each other. We like a security, like, you know, undercover guys we're gonna do all this stuff we want to protect you because we're in protection we're in protection we, we want to you know we want to be careful i wonder how we would respond if the situation was us i mean at the least we would kind of say man i'm so glad that you got out of jail i'm so glad that things are going great for you guys now i'm so thankful let's just praise god you're out it's not what they said in this prayer Because the prayer begins in verse 24, and it says, this is what they prayed. Okay, once again, they've been threatened. They've spoken boldly the truth in love. They were bold-speaking people, Peter and John and other leaders of the church. And what happens? This is what they pray after they shared. He says in verse 24, when they heard this, when the people heard this, the Christians, the early church heard this, They raised their voices together in prayer to God. And the first thing they said is this, Sovereign Lord. What does that mean? Sovereign Lord? What's a sovereign Lord? It means, God, you're in control. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, Let me ask you, how did you respond the last few weeks to all the information out there about money and about the economy? How do you respond? I'm just, this is a day-to-day thing. I want to tell you, how did you respond to that? Did you start worrying? Did you uh, go, oh, man, did you kind of, I mean, now, now, Greg, I would expect you, you know, as, as a financial planner to, to deal with this issue in a different way. I'm talking about the rest of us, okay? You need to stay on top of that. But I'm talking about how do you respond to all the issues that we see in our culture? Did you worry or did you sit around and say, you know, uh, because there is a verse in, in Matthew 6 and one in, Ma- in Luke 16 that says something about you cannot serve two masters, both God and money. And I'll tell you how do you know how, what you serve is and how you respond to stuff like it happened the last few weeks. I mean, I, I, doesn't really, I, mean, I understand it's going to happen. It's, it's the outcome of greed. That's what's happening in our culture right now. That's the reason it's, we're in the mess we're in. But the issue is that, you know, I'm going like, you know, I, I don't serve money anyway, so... You know, God, I serve you, and I figure things are going to be all right. That's not, that might sound naive to some of you, but that's just the way I think. And I think that's the way Christians should think. We shouldn't be freaked out over the fact that the economy is kind of like in the, in, in the dumps right now. I mean, we can understand it. We can try to, you know, pray, you know, pray about things. But we shouldn't, it shouldn't be the leading factor in controlling how we respond to life. There's some people out there, though, that I encountered along the way at the conference the other day and some stuff. Man, they're just freaked out. That's all they can talk about. 
And the thing is here is that what do they, they say this, they're saying like, so it, it shows what controls their life. And when they say, these, these, these folks in the early church say, Sovereign Lord, what are they saying? They're saying, God, you're in control. That's the first thing before they pray anything else. They say, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke, verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they quote scripture. They go back to scripture. Why do the nations rage and the people, peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. He quotes scripture about the fact is, is that people will be this way. I mean, it's inevitable. But then, but he says, so they first recognize who is in control. In our lives, when we pray, is that our first thought when you pray in the morning, when you pray in the afternoon, when you pray? Is your first thought, God, you know, as I'm praying to you, and I'm praying to somebody who's a dispenser of just stuff. I'm praying to the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things, and I know, God, that I don't understand everything, and I will never understand anything, but I believe before anything else, I want to say, God, I believe that you're in control, and I trust you. That's what it's saying here. Sovereign Lord. And then in verse 27, it says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel and the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And once again, they, they look back at Scripture. They realize that the process that had gone on with them recently was something that was even prophesied a long time ago. And so they weren't concerned about that. You know, they weren't like safety conscious at this point in their lives. And then they ask the prayer request. You know, this is the part where we start asking for stuff. You know, we do our laundry list. Okay, God, okay, if, if we get to the point of saying, okay, God, you're in control. Now, here's the things I would like. Check, check, check. And we go down our laundry list. This is, the, this is the request they make, the only request they make, two requests in this prayer. Verse 29. Now, if you got your Bibles, underline, circle, verse 29 and 30. Because what I want you to do this week is I want you to start praying this prayer. And I want you to personalize it. We're going to do it at the end of the service today. Verse 29, after all this, they, this is their request. Now, Lord, consider their threats and protect us. No, that's not what they pray. No, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with what? Great boldness. I don't know about you, but do you very often pray for boldness? That's not one of my top ten prayer concerns. Boldness. Because, you know, wasn't boldness what got them into trouble in the, start, in the first place? Wasn't boldness something that's it's kind of tough sometimes? And I begin to think about this. God, if you want me to pray with boldness, how should I pray? And I begin to think in very specific terms. Because right now in the life of the church, one of the things that we're beginning to do is we're having a couple events coming up. One's called what? Two weeks from now? Community Batch. Okay? Fun event. Non-threatening. I mean, folks, if there's any event in the life of the church over the next few months you can invite people to that will not threaten anybody, it's the community bash. 
And so we got a bunch of cards out there. You can take cards. You can give them out to your neighbors, do whatever. You know, you can do that. Maybe stick them in their mailboxes. But that's a kind of a weenie way of doing it. Let's be honest. What would be a bolder way of doing it? I'm not talking about really bold. I'm talking about a little bit bold. Actually going to them and giving them a card and say, Hey, we got this cool thing happening at church. It's called the Community Bash. We're going to have, you know, if you like to run, you can run. If you don't like to run, you can walk. We got food. We got stuff for kids. We got music. We got movies. We got all this stuff. So what I said, I began to pray a little bolder prayer. I said, God, okay, number one, what I want to do this week is I want to connect personally with everybody in my cul-de-sac. And I want to personally invite them. We began, my wife began yesterday of doing it with our next door, the next door neighbor. And we got, and so you might live, well, I don't live in a cul-de-sac. I live on a street. I'm living, you got the five closest neighbors, okay? Wherever they happen to be. And usually if you've lived there any time at all, you know who goes to church and who doesn't go to church. I will tell you in my cul-de-sac, only one other family goes to church. Only one. So I got one, two, Three, four, five, six more families that I need to connect with. That's a little bold. That's not real bold, though, is it? But it's a little bit. It's a, it's a start. And I began to say, okay, God, if I, if I want to really pray a bold prayer for these folks, and I want to really be bold in my praying, what I do is, is I'm going to start down, and I got a, already got partial a list, and I'm going to have a list of everybody in my cul-de-sac, and I'm going to have the names of their their names, their kids' names, their dogs and cats. No, I'm not going to pray for them. And... And all these folks' names. And what I'm going to get to do is pray boldly. God, this is the prayer they pray. God, help me to be a bold witness for them. Personally. That's more bold praying. And you notice the difference between that and God, please bless my family and bless my kids. Keep everybody safe. You know, help me to find a parking place at the mall. Not really, you know. there's a difference between those two type of prayers. One's outward focused. I think it's God focused because God cares for every person in my cul-de-sac and he wants me to care too. And that's, you remember when it said that Holy Spirit comes in Acts 1-8? Where's it going to start? It will empower you to be a witness where? Come on. Jerusalem. Okay, where's Jerusalem? Now, you don't live in Jerusalem. I know. It's, just, it's where you live. It begins where you live. It may even begin where you live literally with your family. But the issue is, it says, when the Holy Spirit comes, it'll not focus on safety. It'll focus on us giving us the boldness, the power to, to, to reach out to the people that are around us, to be focused on them. And then he prays this other kind of... And boldness is not weirdness, by the way, Okay? Boldness and weirdness are two different things. Boldness simply says, do it and speak the truth and love to them. Express God's spirit. If you really connected with Him, I believe will give you the words to say. I mean, every week I get up here and, and when I first came to Great Oaks years ago, and I got two minutes and then we'll conclude. Uh, when I when I came here, you know, nine years ago, I was totally threatened by you guys. You know, the church I used to be at was kind of a. I was the most educated person in the church I used to be at in Virginia. Most educated, by far. I don't think anybody else in the church had a master's degree. Boy, I was smart because I had a master's degree. Woo! Then I come here, and I mean, half you guys are 
half you got. Well, that doesn't sound very nice, does it? No, all of you guys are so smart. You know, I mean, so many of you got advanced degrees and, and you work very responsible jobs and you manage all kind of people. And I'm going, why in the world will these people listen to me? Then I begin to realize it's not me that they're listening to. I said, because when I'm empowered by God's Spirit, hopefully what comes out and what's happening and the words that God gives me as I pray and I seek His heart and I ask to be speak with boldness is the words that God would speak. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God empowering us to speak with boldness. And that's what these people were praying here. These uneducated Early church people, they're going like, hey, God's sovereign. God's in charge. Hey, the Holy Spirit's with us. Let us speak your word with great boldness. And then in verse 30, then the second one, man, it freaked me out when I read this one. It says, then he says, this is their second request. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Man, have you ever prayed anything like that? You're going like, no, I don't go to one of them churches. I mean, literally. I mean, we kind of freak out when we read this because it's gotten a bad rap in our culture because so often it's been perverted in so many weird ways because this verse is not talking about what happens inside the church. It's talking about what happens out there as their bold witnesses. They're going like, in our community, as things happen, God, we want you to do things that nobody can explain so that they will say to, to, to each other, hey, look at what God is doing. It has to be God. It's not them semi-intelligent people that at Great Oaks or anywhere else. It's God. He's asking God to show up in ways that they can't explain. And I began to ask, how often do I pray that kind of prayer? Because, see, you know, the thing is in the early church when things were happening like this, God gets healed back in chapter 2, chapter 3. When the guy gets, chapter 3, the guy gets healed, who gets the glory? Well, at first some people are kind of putting it on Peter and John. Peter and John said, hey, that has nothing to do with us. I mean, I'm a fisherman. We're fisher, fishermen. We're not even really good fishermen. We're just kind of fishermen. You know? We can't do this kind of stuff. It has to be God. And God gets the glory in what happens. Let me ask you another question. Was it, was it to cure the guy when he was healed? Was it to cure the guy of all the problems he's ever going to have? Did the guy ever die? Yeah, he still died. Eventually. All of us die. Even the people that are healed. Or die. I, I've never met a guy, a first century guy, that's walking around and going, Peter healed me and I just can't die. They still die. I mean, the thing is, it's not, it's, you know, it helps the person at the time, but ultimately it doesn't heal their greatest problem. They're going to die. But the greatest issue was there was that, you know, the thing is, is that God wants us to, to, to pray prayers about us being bold so that he can work through us and that God will show him, show up in ways that we can't explain. So I ask you this morning, and I, and I encourage you this morning, continue to pray your prayers that you now pray. But ask more. Pray more boldly. Because it not only changes others, it changes you. You know what verse 31 and 32 say right after this? We're going to kind of look at this more next week. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were filled, or they were meeting, was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They got exactly what they asked for. Let me tell you what's going to happen. If you begin to pray, and I know this is going to happen. If I begin to pray, God, give me the boldness and the, and the capacity to have a, a mindset of, of, of loving the people in my cul-de-sac and in my community and wherever I encounter people, and I begin to ask, pray, God, 
let me speak boldly, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to have all kinds of opportunities. It always happens. You'll begin to see the people in a different way. You'll see opportunities all the time. God will answer that prayer because it's a prayer he wants to answer. There's no doubt about that. That's why his Holy Spirit came into our lives. And also something else happened, verse 32. And all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Man, it just kept going. It wasn't a one-time deal. This was a process that happened in their life. Uh, They were so focused on, on, on others. They didn't have time to sit around going, this is mine. They're going, no, this is ours. We're going to talk about us or we or me next week. See, it changes us when we pray differently. When we pray the bold God-honoring prayers that God wants us to pray. So this morning, I thought we'd practice. You're going like, oh, no. Bill's going to do something weird this morning. Not real weird. A little out of the normal. But I want you to begin to practice. So what I'm going to do this morning, I know that you just love to do this stuff, but I don't care. Um, you know, not, I don't care. I, I just want us to practice. I want you to practice because I want to practice this as well. What I want us to do is I want us to all stand. Stand. Everybody stand. Stand. Give me the next slide. Okay. I changed the words a little bit of the prayer. Okay? I personalized it for you and for me. And so this morning, I want us to begin to practice this, this prayer. And I want us to, I want us to, uh, to pray this together. And for those of you, like I said, who are believers, I want you to not only practice it here, but I want you to practice a version of that. You can go back to verses 29 and 30 and pray it during the week and personalize it and ask God, what does it mean for me? But I want us to begin this morning, and this is how we're going to close this morning. We're not having any more songs, no more music. We're just going to, I'm going to pray this prayer, we're going to pray this prayer together, and then I'm going to pray a prayer for all of us and, and be very specific in regard to how we can pray for boldness and how we pray for God to work, and then we're going to say amen and we're going home. But hopefully we'll go home. And we'll begin to think about our prayers. And we'll think, God, am I praying self-centered prayers? Or am I praying prayers that are God-centered and others-centered? Because when we pray God-centered prayers, they are about others. And we begin to see others around us in a different way. So pray with me together the words that are, that are there. This is kind of a variation of the Scripture. Just kind of go along with me here. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakcc.org.